Drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? One morning in 2017, 33-year-old Iraq War veteran Brian Brown Easley walked into a bank in the US state of Georgia and told the tellers he had a bomb. But Brian wasn't robbing the bank. He had two demands. He wanted the Department of Veterans Affairs to return his paycheck and he wanted people to know his story. Abby Damaris Corbin is making sure of the second part. She's the director and co-writer of a new film, Breaking, starring John Boyega, which takes us into the bank that day and into Brian's life. Abby, welcome to you. Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure to be here, Andy. So you read an article by Erin Gall in 2019 about this story. What was your first reaction to it when you were reading about it? I was heartbroken. I actually saw the headline at a red light and I pulled over to the side of the road and read the whole story in one sitting. And my dad's a vet, a, a Navy war veteran of Vietnam. And I immediately just had so much more understanding of what he'd gone through. And what did you learn from that article and in the subsequent days about Brian Brown Easley? What's his backstory? He was a man who longed for justice in the world. He was a fan of Lord of the Rings and he was a man of deep love. Talked to his wife and to his daughter. He could easily laugh as uh, bring you into a deep conversation. And in terms of his military service, that obviously resonated with you and your own father, but tell me about his active duty. He's a Marine guy. He works in, he worked in logistics and he, during his time had the nickname easy, quite loved by a lot of the guys who served with him, who um, consequently have watched the film, sent messages, but his time in Iraq, um, he had a back injury and that was exacerbated by some of the trauma that he saw during his time in the war um, that then caused all of these mental complications that then he had a very hard time getting treatment for. This is actually a story that we hear over and over again with returned servicemen and women, certainly in this country as well as the United States. But something was different about Brian's story. He, I think it probably harks back to your comment about his want or, or need for justice or fairness. Would that be fair to say? It seemed that there was a very strong center to him of this is what we're built on, that idea of the dream, the longing for purity, for wholeness, for justice, dignity or die, if you will. In this film, you, you walk a delicate line. I mean, the film clearly sympathises with Brian, but you also show us the very real and genuine fear of the bank tellers that day. No matter how polite he was, this was still a, a damaging and criminal act, wasn't it? Absolutely. And he knew it. He knew it. So how did you think about that and process that and make sure you're walking that line and being fair uh, just as Brian Brown easily would want? He was our guiding light in the sense that we had tapes, we have recordings of him in the bank on the phone with the 911 operators, with the negotiator and you can hear in his voice there's a there's a hesitation there's a I'm sorry that's so quick to come 
And if you read the testimonies of the women who were in the bank, he was kind. What duty do you feel to the real people at the heart of the film, not only Brian, but those involved? I mean, listening to those 911 tapes and hearing the truth, if you like, does that in some ways restrict how you tell the story? One of the most important things for me as an artist to be able to get up in the morning to know that I've done my job in telling the story correctly is knowing that Brian has a young daughter and someday she's going to watch this film. So I need to do right by her. I need to do right by his wife who loved him and those who lived through this situation. You do your best. You you move forward carefully and honestly with the right people at the table and hope that all of you are asking the right questions that allow you to do that. After all, the, the small amount that Brian was after was $892. And it sort of plays as a moment that shocks the other characters in the movie. What was your reaction when you heard that was all he was demanding? Sometimes $892 is enough to pay your rent, to feed yourself, to get back and forth from work. Depending on where you live, that can be quite a lot of money. Your life can hang on that amount. But it also was a symbol of so much more than just the dollar amount. It's both and. It's what he needed it to do, but also what it meant for him as a man. Yeah, it's yeah. you're right. It's a, a pretty small amount, but attached to it comes with respect, which is something he also sought. Talk to me about race and how you wanted to illustrate the impact that has on Brian, on the bank employees and all the stories that this represents can't ignore it. And you shouldn't because this is, Brian's a black man in America and in Georgia, nonetheless. Kwame, my co-writer, he raised his kids in Baltimore. And uh, we talked pretty directly together about that, about what is honest here. So we listened to the tapes that Yet again, we we listened to so, so much to find out what the truth was of the day. And the truth was that there were all of these microaggressions against him. As a man, (laughs) as a man of color, you, you hear it in so many conversations. So we have to honor that. You have to honor the truth of what Brian went through as a man of color, as a veteran, as who he was, um, John, as an actor. We had conversations about this. I'm a white woman in America. I can never um, fully understand what that is, and nor should I um, go into that in a silo. I wouldn't. But knowing that I have partners um, that are seeking to tell the fullness of this story um, with Jessica, with John, with Kwame, and then uh, honoring the whole of who Brian is as a father. Um, that race is is, uh, a very big factor in this, but there's other factors that we have to consider. We have to consider the fullness of Brian. I suppose I should be careful in comparing the experience of returned uh, servicemen and women in your country and in mine. Certainly there are some similarities, but just the scale is so much different considering the wars that the United States has been involved in over uh, the previous few decades. But after making this film, and certainly you got insight already with your father as a veteran himself, but 
you must have been approached and told about so many stories now about what it means to be a veteran in, in America and dealing with Veterans Affairs or the VA. How do you start to describe that for us? Gotten a lot of messages from vets, had a lot of conversations with people who said, thank you for telling our story. But you know, the overwhelming thing that I've gotten back is the sense of pride this sense of um, we still love our country despite all of this, <laughs> despite all of this uh, messiness. And that gives me great hope because there's still, there's still something that, that longing, that justice that Brian had, you can sense that so much in the messages um, that this is wrong, but there's, there's a better way and we want to find it. And isn't that what life is? Like we're, we're humans, we're so messy, we're constantly making messes of everything. And yet there's still a hope to fix it. So Brian, I think gave a lot of veterans that I've spoken to some hope. Yeah, it's an extraordinary act of grace or, or duty when you think about it. If you just tuned in on RN Drive, I'm Andy Park. Abby Damaris Corbin is here. She's the writer and director of the new film Breaking. And let's get into the craft of filmmaking here, Abby. Breaking has some great performances by all the actors, um, but particularly John Boyega. Uh, it's a very special uh, performance. How did you get a performance like this out of John? John, like you said, is an extraordinary actor, just hands down he's a generational talent. We had very little time to prepare together. We had two, three days of rehearsal alone. And then we jumped into it on the same page after going through the script together with the cast and we shot it. We didn't have time for weeks on end rehearsal. So John had to be prepared as an actor, his instrument, his body, his craft before we ever met. And then we moved in together and we really shared a similar point of view on how to tell Brian's story. We're there to be honorable about it. Um, we weren't documentary filmmakers. We knew that we needed to get to the hottest point of the fire. So sometimes when Brian's soul is roaring and his voice is quiet, maybe his voice needs to be loud so the audience can understand it and it's in its intensity, right? Um, definitely took deviations from there. But just in practical matters, how did I get the performance? I made sure that there was an actor on the other end of the phone when John had to be on a call. So Michael K. Williams, who plays Bernard, the negotiator, made sure that he was actually on the phone instead of a, a script supervisor or an ED or a, a production assistant, that it was actually the actor on the other end of the phone when he was to be off camera, which doesn't often happen in films. Usually it's whoever's on camera is getting paid that day. And so you uh, only pay for them and you only schedule them because scheduling is already so complex, but it made a massive difference in the performance of it. We're allowed to peek into the humanity of these actors and they really got vulnerable um, and went to great depths that you really can only uh, get to if you've got that amount of discipline and skill as an actor. It's I've, always, 
I've always wondered, uh, watching films, whether or not there is someone on the end of the phone. <laughs> You've revealed a bit of the, the, the stagecraft there. And you mentioned <laughs> that uh, you wanted to get to the hottest part of the fire quickly, and the film gets into the heart of the action very quickly. We meet Brian, we get a sense of his life, and then we're immediately into the bank lobby, which is where most of the film takes place. How did you try and create that small space to create the tension and to, to hold for the length of the film? Ooh, you know, it was just one thing after another that just ratchets up. So the attention builds and builds and builds because there's always something happening. And I love to, as a director, have more than one thing happen in the scene that ratchets up tension. So while Brian is on the phone, Estelle's moving to try and get her phone to get out. And um, Rosa is also about to make her own move. So there's three things happening all at once. And then you're worried, oh, wait, is someone also outside going to um, find a spot now to, to, to take Brian out, to take Estelle out by accident? Um, so for me, it's just how many, how many balls can I keep in the air <laughs> at once? Uh, Abby Damaris Corbin, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. My pleasure, Andy. Really nice to meet you. Abby Damaris Corbin has been my guest and Breaking is available to rent and own from the 27th of March. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.